0: Welcome back to Let Freedom Reign podcast, the official equine industry podcast of Day Six Ranch. I'm your host, Jason Swick. And on this show, we discuss leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship from topics and perspectives exclusive to the equine industry. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and explore our free content, other podcasts, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We thank you for joining us on this adventure. Well, here we go again with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Mr. Ricky Piggott. Now, Ricky's been a follower of Let Freedom Reign for a couple years now and has a continued interest in the launch of Day 6 Ranch. Due to most guests having an extremely busy schedule, we usually record most episodes via phone call. But Ricky was kind enough to set a day aside where we could visit his place, learn more about his training program, spend some time riding horses, and sit down and record an episode. Now, Ricky has quite a storied history and we covered as much as we could in an hour episode. But he has quite a bit to offer the horse industry, and in this episode, you'll learn where his valued experience comes from. We encourage you to visit cowhorseacademy.com or look up Ricky Piggott Performance Horses on Facebook and YouTube. We had an absolute blast hanging out with Ricky and his family and hope you all enjoy the episode. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Ricky Piggott. Well, Ricky, it's been a long day. We finally get a chance to sit down and, and record a podcast here. We've ridden some horses and talk business and talk life and hunting and things of that sort. But first and foremost, I want to thank you for making time for us here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast and inviting us up to your place. And hopefully throughout the episode, we'll get to learn a little bit more about you and your program and the performance horses that you train here. But most episodes start with a little bit of your history. And I find it fascinating that every time I get to hang out with you, I find a different chapter and Halfway joked before hitting record here that we could probably do seven or eight episodes on the different chapters of your life. Yeah, and your I, got, history. I got a
1: lot of chapters. I'm, I was fixing to say that, yeah, you better get ready for another one.
0: <laughs> so let's try. Uh, I don't try to dictate the conversations too much, but we do generally start episodes with with, with the, the guest history. So let's talk about your start with horses because your involvement in the Western industry wasn't always with the Rain Cow Horse.
1: No, but it did. It did come to me pretty early. Uh, I grew up, you know, out in a panhandle, a little town. I graduated from a little town called Boy City, Oklahoma, and it's jeez, not. I mean, it was closer to New Mexico and Colorado than it was Texas. Like we, it was just right there in that little group of states there, and very rural. I mean, it was an hour and a half. No, it was two and a half hours to Amarillo. I mean, that was kind of the next town that had more than just a gas station and a yeah. grocery store. And yeah. there was a lot of ranches out there. And so, you know, and my dad, he, uh, he, you know, he worked, worked for Bell Helicopter and then as a, well, now he's an aviation software engineer. But anyway, and then he helped my, when my grandpa died, we moved up there. And so... That's pretty much, I mean, I grew up right there. Like, I started second grade there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and they wanted me, to, they wanted to hold me back for two or three years in second grade, I think. But anyway, they <laughs> get, they went ahead and let me go. But, um, make a long story short, I, when I was 12, I kind of remember my dad saying, you need a job. And so we kind of put the word out in the Murdochs from or City. Well, actually, they were from Felt. That, you know they put me to work, you know, just giving shots at the feed yard. And they had a ranch and a feed yard, and they preconditioned a bunch of cattle. And man, I was begging them, you know, like, "Hey, I want to use a horse to, you know, pull the sick cows and push the cattle around." And they wouldn't already let me. But anyway, so I finally, I got they wouldn't let me ride their horses. So I went to a sale in I think Stratford, Texas. To be honest with you, back then Bobby Edmond had a he was a black guy that lived up in the panhandle out of all things. He was the first black guy I ever seen in my life, I think. And uh, he had a horse sale there in Stratford, Texas. And so I went and bought a mare and that had come off the racetrack. So she had been rode, but she wasn't broke. Yeah. And so I just started training on her anyway kind of felt like i was the horse trainer at that point you know (laughs) but but anyway that was and done yeah anyway i'll just skip but that's how i kind of got into horses so i went pretty quick into that but that was the first horse yeah and then i had multiple friends that had lone bee horses to do rodeos on and and uh next thing you know i was I'd bought a horse. I remember buying this one. This this will be a pretty influential horse in my life very early on. He was already trained. There there was a guy named John Gowdy. He was, you know, he's an ex-bull rider and he had a a head horse that was, you know, every time he'd back him in the box, he'd flip over backwards. And so we we didn't want a head horse. We were looking for a a pickup horse because I had friends that, wanted to practice bronc riding but they had they needed a pickup man because yeah they had to way out yeah so they had well way out and they had somebody to like take the flank off and put them anyway so this friend of mine he said yeah buy a pickup horse and so I bought this horse from John Gowdy he said well he'll be good for that just don't don't try team rope on him still back him in a box nope so I did I just picked broncs up on him and I went on a Hunting trip, believe it or not. No kidding. Yeah, went on a mule deer hunting trip. So I rode that horse a lot and I got to know that horse. And then we were out there bucking rocks there at the, you know, Boy City rodeo arena. And some other friends of mine said, Hey, you you want to team rope with us? And I was like, No, John told me not to rope on this horse. Yeah, yeah. yeah." And they looked me eyes and he said, well, you could probably rope on him now, John. That's all he'd ever do is back him in the box, you know? And yeah. so I, I thought, well, I'll try it. And at that point, I knew the horse. Like, I yeah. was comfortable. Had with a
0: relationship him. with him and spending up. Yeah, time. I had
1: gained. Uh, yeah, whatever I did, which was pretty minimal at that time. Yeah. I backed him in the box. And I ended up making the high school finals on that No horse. kidding. In the team rope. So at that point, I was like, I made an influence of that horse. Like it really influenced that horse back to being what he was good at, but he just needed other things to do other than just backing in a box. There was so much pressure in that box. Yeah, yeah. And we called him on the unit. I don't know how you'd ever forget the name Cardiel, but that's what yeah. John named him that. And uh, so that was the start. That all I said, I'll to say that. So
0: at the time, you have this horse and you have this experience. Did you? Did you understand that horses were going to be a part of your life, or did you have the feeling that horses were going to be a part of your life from there on out in no training? I
1: had no idea.
0: So this is something that you that you learned in retrospect. Or well, I back. knew that
1: it was going to be a part of my life. I mean, I, I was, you know, I rodeoed in from very young, like 10, ten, twelve you know, trying to rope. you know, I never was any good at it until I got into high school and got that horse. Yeah. Um, So all the efforts that I had on all my other horses that my uncle had loaned me or, you know, Dr. Wheeler there in Boy City, there was a guy by the name of Randy Gore. Um, I remember using one of his and that horse actually would get me to a cow and I actually caught a few, you know, I'm talking about, I'm like 14. Yeah. And so doing that and then. Getting Cardiel and making that transition, I felt like I—I don't know—I just felt like I was part of that horse's change. Like whatever, I knew it wasn't like something I learned. Mm -hmm. I just rode the horse. Other than put him in the back of a box, and it took away the pressure of that corner. Then the horse gained trust in me. You know, we're talking about I didn't train this horse. Yeah. Just went out
0: and put miles on him, basically.
1: But John Gowdy scared me. Like, don't get him in the box. He'll flip over. You know, so and I'm not saying anything against John. He's actually still a good friend of mine. But, you know, he was messed up in the box at, at the time. And he was willing to sell him. And just, he didn't want to get me hurt. That that was the main fair reason. enough. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. And so, but I got the horse going. And I felt that change. And then that created a spark. Like, that's when I bought that. Philly, like i wanted to go and train one yep so i challenged myself to train a horse and that horse was had already been rode because it would come off the track and so then i had to teach it to get off a bit instead of pull on a bit and next thing you know i'm riding that filly in the feed yard you know working cows and pulling cattle out of the sick pen and or you know putting them in a the sick pen and pushing the herds cattle. anyway i felt the transition in that horse And then by the time I get through my junior or senior year, I'm hooked. Starting to roll a little bit. I I want to be a horseman.
0: That's cool. Who were some of your early influences in horsemanship? Did you have certain trainers or horsemen that you followed? Or is it kind of an experiential thing where you're just out doing it by a bug and always wanted to to learn more?
1: It's so, so rural and uh, far. I mean, like, it's... Like, the state line of New Mexico and Oklahoma, and there's a panhandle. I mean, there's literally people out there. Their neighbor is 15 miles. I mean, it's such a vast, you know, it'd be like living in Wyoming or something. But but anyway, in, in that corner. And so, there's not a lot of, there was people, but they didn't look at me as a cowboy at that time. You know, like, I was just kind of a
0: local kid messing around on not horses. I was a local
1: kid, you know, a little town with 2,000 people in it and a bunch of farms and some big ranches. And my friends, you know, they lived on ranches, but I never – I look back and I go, I never got a – never. Yeah. Not one time. I got. I never got invited to a Brandon. Really? No. As a kid, not one time. Um, I finally did in that – in Cimarron County. I finally got to go to a Brandon later on in life. at a a bigger ranch in Samarone County. Yeah. But I'd kind of gotten known as a horseman at that point. So, yeah, yeah, it didn't come early, but I found it. It
0: never really does, though, does it? But I found it
1: early, the horsemanship part. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I know you spent a lot of time in rodeo. Do you want to share some of your other experiences? Because it wasn't always horseback. No,
1: like I just wanted to be accepted. And so, you know, I... I, yeah, I just wanted to be accepted in, yeah. as a cowboy. Like yeah. I wanted to wear the hat and be accepted. I was a cowboy. had to and, mean some. And and so I I experimented with riding bulls, if you will. And I remember there was a guy named Cecil Wilson. He was a local that area, and he team roped, and i roped with Cecil some. And and I remember I was riding just steers, and I you know here I was a six foot tall you know 14 year old kid 13 14 year old kid i couldn't ride nothing you know i mm-hmm. didn't had no experience mm-hmm. so anyway but I, try, I but i wanted to go i wanted to go with my friends to the rodeo so i'd go with i'd enter just so i could go <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i i knew is that how the
0: bull rider started then? oh yeah no kidding.
1: oh yeah whenever I, I remember the very first year we lived in Boise city they had a little bridges rodeo and i i couldn't wait to see the steer riding you know yep yeah. And my mom came and got me right before it started. I didn't get sick. I'm nine.
0: And that probably created the draw for the rest of your life. Well, the next
1: year, I'm over here, and there's a little boot and shoe shop that Paul Moses had. And and (laughs) there's an entry form for the Little Riches Rodeo for the next year. And I said, I looked at that, and I thought, well, you know, however many dollars the entry fee, and I've got a job. I thought, well, I'll enter it. She can't pencil with this right quick. She can't take me home (laughs) if I'm entered. So I did. I I got the no no picture, dude. I I swear to you. You laugh. I'm uh, anyway. So here I am. I'm probably 11 by this time, and that's where the steer, buller hadn't started. I started riding steers, and but I roped and try or tried rope at that time, and I did I did roping and and rode steers all the way through that time. And what, but finally, you age out. You can't ride steers no more, son. It's time to level up. You gotta ride bulls.
0: Yeah. How would like, that yeah, transition
1: four, go? 14 to 18, buddy. You got to ride bulls. Yeah. True story. Yeah. So so how did you make that jump or how did that jump go for you? Yeah. I remember I, I finally rode a steer for eight seconds the year before I had to switch to bulls. <laughs> I, said, I swear, man. That's a true story. I'll tell you the same story when yeah. I get to heaven. Say congratulations. It's time to turn the page. We're going to the big ones. I got the set of spurs I won right, right over there, there in can. the window yeah. that I won. Yeah. On the steer riding, and that was the last rodeo I ever got to ride a steer. I had to ride a full fledged bull when I'm fourteen. Very next go. So my, anyway, that's 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 the bull riding start. Yeah. And and like I said, I just wanted to be accepted. Yeah. At, to wear the hat because I knew I didn't rode good. I didn't come from a from a ranching family, but I loved it. Like I enjoyed what they do, and they and I just wanted to be accepted by them.
0: Let's talk about some of your bull riding, though, because you were you were riding bulls in some very influential years for PBR, and you know bull riding has changed so tremendously uh, over the last twenty years. Let's talk about some of those early experiences. That's
1: pretty interesting that you said that, but um, so yeah, so I kept going. I never would make the whistle, but I learned how to get off. Like I learned how to fall off on your own terms. Pretty good. and I never dreamed of making the whistle. Yeah. Or, yeah, I shouldn't say that. I mean, yeah, he was trying, but I never got close. Like, I'm just, I weigh 148 pounds and I'm six foot two. Yeah, the power to weight ratio is a little off there. What are the odds, you know, that this kid's going to ride one? Well, anyway, so, but I I was hanging around with James and Jason and Griswold at the time, and and we were really good friends growing up. And, I remember going to, I think we were in Dumas, Texas. Yeah. We are in Dumas, Texas, and I draw the TCRA buck and bull of the year. And back then, it was, you know, like now it's PBR. Back then, it was right after the movie Eight Seconds came out. So, then every kid wanted to be a bull rider. So, the bull riding was like... It was blowing up. I mean, you couldn't make enough bull ropes, you know. And so... It was big. So they couldn't bring just their practice bulls. They had to bring every bull they owned. The stock contractors to, to to fill the these party. kids. Yeah. I mean, the best ones. Like ones that go the, like Alan McCoy had bulls going to the PBR Finals. They're they're in the Little Britches rodeo. They're Little in Br- the high school rodeo. They're no everything. No, I ain't kidding you one bit. And I think it's it's absolutely fascinating
0: what Buck and Bull genetics has become and just how athletic the
1: Bulls are. I watched it from the time Bob Thomas started talking about collecting semen out of Bodacious. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it all yeah. come, come, come from the very beginning. But anyway, that part of it. But I, I said all that, say this, I draw the TCRA Bucking Bull of the Year, and I ain't ever made the whistle on one yet.
0: <laughs> there ain't better time than
1: now. Well, I knew how to get off of him. Yeah. I mean, I knew that part. I'd been on a hundred of them by, by then. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a guy named by the Eddie Miller, and I keep mentioning these names because there's going to be somebody that's going to know all these people. Yep, like by name, like yeah. personally, because it's a small community.
0: Yes, and,
1: and so anyway, Eddie Miller, he was kind of known as the old bull rider and that he coached us long. You know, he started even telling me, "Hey, you might want to consider you're not trying this anymore." And and then we got to Dumas, and Eddie went with us, and I drawed that bull, and he's like. He looks at me, and he says, you might want to draw out on this. One. And I, he looked me in the eye, and he could tell right then I wasn't doing it. Yeah. He said, but if you're going to get on him, you better spur him with both feet because he said, this bull is rank. And we all knew it. Like right. We knew what he did. He was going to buck, and he was going to hit that latch right in the gate. So, of course, I'm already thinking he's going the left.
0: Three second. I'm going to ride. We'll
1: get off safe, and I'll get to kill the next. Call it a day.
0: Yeah. When did the tide turn for you, as far as the bull riding goes? Because eventually you got it all figured out pretty well.
1: Well, that was the start. I didn't finish my story. Yeah. I rode that bull. No kidding. That's the first one I ever made to whistle on. No kidding. Yes, sir. Now, I will tell you this: I was trying to get off the whole time, but he kept jumping back underneath (laughs) me. But it, you know, you laugh, but that's a true story. Like I'm scared to death. All right, I'm getting on this bull, and everybody's like, "Oh, Ricky draw this bull, with Bill Hicks," and I'm like, "Ricky's gonna die tonight." Yeah, he might get hooked in the back, and he's he's done anyway. Like he was yeah. if whoever draw that bull, all them kids, they all knew him, and that, and I won the bull riding. And that was, a, I mean, how do you win the bull rat in the first one you ever make the whistle? Well, anyway, so I made the whistle, and I got, but there was two things that happened while that was going on. Now, yeah, my legs were flying everywhere. I'm trying to get off. He keeps jumping back underneath me. I'm making all the, basically, the, the, the wrong moves, but they're the right moves. They're the right, right moves because he's carrying it. particular yep. moment in time. But then you watch the video, and it looks like I'm spurring his eyeballs out. No I mean, kidding. my legs are just whacking him, you know. Like I'm trying to get off, but my legs going back in. Him. <laughs> it's it's interesting, but anyway. So, but two things happened. It, it everybody cheering you on, I still got the buckle. I won. My confidence went out the roof. Now I crave it. I wasn't just going for to be with my friends. It wasn't level. a social event anymore. Uh-huh. I was like wait, I can't do this. Yeah. And I got a feel for it. All of a sudden, I felt something I'd never felt and I started just trying to find that seat. Yeah. Well, and then it created a monster at that point. Next thing you know, I'm, I can tell you a bunch of stories. Yeah. But, but anyway, it went on, you know, like I'm still got horsemanship, cowboy and all that in the back of my mind, but it just yeah. kind of got hooked on that for a little bit. But, but I did, I ended up going to college on a full ride scholarship to Lamar at the horse training school there. And, um, I just heard that um, Jeff Gornkamp just passed away the other day, and I wish I could have went to the funeral, to be honest with you, but he was my, one of my instructors there. So, yeah, so my horsemanship, back to my horsemanship and the bull riding, like all the time, you know, when you're a kid. It's, it's interesting all, how it all is kind of inter, interwoven. Yeah, yeah, it's all interwoven. And But anyway, I've never told this story like no this. No nah, not really.
0: Well, I appreciate you opening up. Yeah. So what were some of the more influential bulls during your bull riding career and what were those
1: lessons that, that they taught you? Alan McCloy, I mean you know, just one bull comes out to mind is Alan McCloy had a bull. It was in the I'm ninety nine percent sure that that bull, his name was Indian Outlaw back in the early nineties. Made the PBR finals and I think that was one of them. Uh I got on I wrote him it interestingly enough, it was at Spearman, Texas. I think it was at eight o'clock. I, I, for some reason we, we all figured this out. It was eight he branded eighty eight. I had him at eight o'clock in the morning in Slack. And I and I scored eighty points. I mean it was like eighty All the stars are moving aligned. Anyway. So at that point Alan McCloy was like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> Who's this kid? You yeah. know, what I mean, hey, you know, you ride Indian outlaw and everybody knew People about it. You start him. paying attention. Yes, sir. Yeah, I remember that and and then that was an influential bull that I got on. There were several of them, but I, I remember the guys I got to hang around Lee Aiken. I remember it was between me and Lee who won the region in college that year when I was at, because I went to Lamar Community College first, and then I ended up going to Panhandle State. And if Lero, if I, whoever won the last round was going to win the region, and Lee well, Lee Aiken, you know, he won it. I fell off but anyway. I fell off that day for whatever reason and but Lee ended up going to NFR he ended up making the PBR finals and and there was another kid named Dusty Miranda that rode real good he was from Hawaii Um, but anyway yeah so I've been around a lot of guys I used to travel with a guy named Jim Bob Custer you know it was Cody Custer's Mm -hmm. brother Mm yeah he was he was a good friend I enjoyed Jim Bob actually we had a lot of fun together and but I remember like getting my P- like getting my piece PRCa card. You know I'm pretty pretty confident I can Well, that picture over there that everybody looks at. I can't remember who owned that bull. I think it was a company called Wing Rodeo, but they bragged how he hadn't been rode in two years, and then I I rode that bull in 2000, and that's the last one I got on. So I went out. You know, I was like. But I was team roping a lot. Like I was training rope horses. I was mm-hmm. selling rope horses. That's how I got into training. Mm-hmm. Was the team roping. So,
0: in the time that you're tra- training team rope horses, when did that transition take place into the rain cow horse?
1: Okay, so I I remember I was in Colorado. There was a gentleman I'm still friends with today. He he lives in Kiowa, Colorado. His name is. Tad Knowles, and I'm still a good friends with Tad today. He's a saddle maker up there. And, and uh, he invited me to come up and just like help sh- shoe and trim horses. Or he said, Man, there's a, there, they needed a shoe, shoeer up there bad. So I was like, Well, I can shoe and trim, I'd learn to do that. And and uh, but I still had training on the mind so I found a place to train out of. and I was training rope horses, and this guy would buy the horses, and I'd train the rope, and then we'd resell them. Yeah. And so I was, and I had trained a pretty nice horse. Uh, I called him Spanky, and and I started going to them pro rodeos on that horse, and I had a guy named Cash Kutkowski heading for me, and, man, we, we just said, we're going to make the end of right? We're going to do it. So we started early in that year, and I started going to all them pro rodeos. Well, I had never rodeoed in the team roping. I'd only been to pro rodeos in the bull riding, right? Yeah. So so when my horse would come out, well, you go to, a, a, like back then, they called them USTRC ropings. Now they're World Series, and I guess they still have USTRCs, but they didn't have the World Series back then. Well, every arena was the same, same color, same shoots, same score, well, my horse was good. Like, I roped good there. You go to a rodeo, well, that shoot might be in the middle of the pen. Might be... Salinas? Might be on the left same side. Pens. Yeah, you might you come out <laughs> of the same chute together, yeah. whatever. Well, my horse, he didn't know where he was going. He wasn't broke enough to just go find the steer and turn turn with it. Like, he just, like I roped good, but you're only roping as good as your horse. So my horse was green mm-hmm. in a sense, but in my mind I thought he was good. Yeah. I th- and and I'd went to the AQHA, wor- AQHA World Show, and I just happened to be there the year that, or happened to be there the day they had the finals for the wor- working cow horse. And I seen that, and I thought, if you can get your horse to do that, you can bring him over here in this Roping deal. Roping deal. It'd be good. So I thought, well, I'm going to go learn how to do that, and then I'll come back and start roping again. Well, I ain't ever... Just never left. I ain't ever picked up a rope. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't figured it out yet. Here I am, forty-nine, almost 49 years old, and I ain't even figured it out yet. But anyways, um, there's still lots to learn. Yeah. So let's talk about the evolution of Ricky
0: Pickett Performance Horses.
1: I mean, we're sitting at a beautiful place right
0: now. We rode a little bit before recording, and let's talk about how that got started formally.
1: Yeah, so it kind of goes back to that. You know, like I, I always craved a cow horse, but there wasn't any cow horse trainers in Oklahoma and Texas. For, I mean, there might have been, but back Not then... Like it is now. There wasn't social media, so you didn't know who they were. And if I did find one, I remember getting turned down, so I started working for, for cutting horse trainers and just starting two-year-olds or starting them on a... starting a, in cutting horse programs and then... But I always had my mind on the cow horse. Yeah. And and I would go out to Nevada and watch the Snaffle Bit Futurity every year for about probably six, seven years in a row. Like I didn't miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was on my mind. Yeah, it was on my mind. And and so even through working for all them cutting horse trainers and, and still to this day, I haven't really tried to go show in the cutting a lot. I have, but. I've won a little money here and there, but I had never, like, just tried to— sh- Made a run of it. Made a run as a cutting horse trainer, even yeah. though if I had, the you know, a good horse, yeah, I think I could go show sure one. And I have. I've won some money in the cutting, but not enough to speak of, but because I've always had my heart on the cow horse. i have always trying to get them to turn around and go stop, and it's a little bit different horse to yeah. train. Let's talk about some of the horses that are out here in the barn. So now I kind of blend that in with how I got here was I just kept trying to show it the futurity like a bunch. And I remember when Kelsey and I first got married, I had a horse out of rooster and or it was by rooster and and out of a a shining spark mare that Daryl Harbor had. And I was entered in the futurity the owner was going to send me, and he, he was getting the divorce about July of his three-year-old year. And he said, i got to sell him. It's just yeah. a divorce court order. And we sold that horse. His name was Sunshine and Rooster, and he sold it to Todd Crawford's customer. Well, they still stand that horse in Emerald, Texas today. No kidding. As a stud, but Todd ended up. Split in second, third, or third and fourth. Anyway, he he ended up making the finals and, like, nearly, like, he just nearly won it. Yeah. It was on TV, everything. That was the best thing ever happened to me. Because I had him all the way up to his July year, and and for that horse to go and be Todd's best horse that year, Todd didn't even know who Ricky Piggott was at that point. And that's a cool story in itself, but... He didn't even know Ricky Piggott at that point, but I knew that I hadn't screwed that horse completely up. <laughs> like, if Todd Crawford— Well, we poke go- fun, but how much did we talk about out in that, you, that pen today? Just you, get out
0: of the horse's way and let him work. Yeah,
1: I mean, if Todd can take that horse and in July, August, September, October, four months go make the finals, I'd like— Probably
0: a pretty good affirmation that I, you got something. And
1: I knew I just needed to figure out how to show one at that point. yeah. And, and how to get them in the next four months. So, that was another 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, or, or seven. Yeah, I think it was in 2010 or something. I don't remember. Yeah. But And then 2017, I, I finally got to enter the paternity. Well, I actually entered the paternity twice and didn't go because I couldn't figure out how to get there yeah. and get back. Yeah. I could get there. I couldn't ever figure out yeah. how to get back. I didn't have enough, had enough money, so... And they were my personal horses. but So, then it just kept going. Like I guess kept trying to enter the peturity. And then whenever it moved to Fort Worth, I knew it was moving forward. And So, I said, well, I'm going.
0: Yeah, you got to get I close. mean,
1: hand, heck, or water. I was going to find me a, a horse to enter that peturity site. Um, ended up trading for a, a, a sorrel mare by the name of Lena's Bit of Blue. And at that point, I had... I I had not trained a horse for the public in five years. So that made me eligible for the non-pro division. And that's a whole other story where my mom had passed away and I'd went and invested into a ranch out there. So I'd been out on a ranch for five, literally just, it, it was like to the day almost. No I'd kid, it. Yeah. So I was eligible for that non-pro card and I ended up making the non-pro finals. Um, wade Matters helped me get ready for that I mean there, I knew there was a lot more to it than what I knew so i knew I needed help so i wade counseled me through all that helped me ride that horse a little bit showed me some things and i sucked in the reining <laughs> but I was 224 down the fence that first that very first non-pro finals and that kind of like boosted my confidence again it's pretty
0: cool to hear the the Pretty big pivotal moments that you had, not only in the bull riding, but now in the rank cowboys. Yeah, yeah. Right? So those are like, show up
1: moments. Yeah, yeah. So in two, yeah, seventeen, I like make non pro finals, and, and then all my old customers that I had, then that now they're all calling me wanting Start to, to train again. again. So yeah. now I'm now I'm not eligible to show in the non pro, but so yes, yeah, Darrell Harbor being one of them, and that that I trained that first horse for. So anyway, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Next thing you know, it was like about two years ago, we're it was about two o'clock in the morning. Me and Todd Crawford are just sitting there visiting, and and that horse came up. I mean, I don't I don't remember in the conversation how it came up, but I told him that was the first horse I trained, and that I didn't get to show him. And it, it like shocked him. He just jerked his head and said, i always wondered who trained that horse." No kidding. So I knew he had a, <clears throat> like he had a lot of respect for that horse already, and he said, "He goes, man, I could have won a another hundred thousand on him if that owner would have just left it and trained with me. But anyway, whatever happened there is irrelevant, but that's, that was like, I had sunshine a rooster and as a two year and three year old. And then I had Lena's bit of blue, um, as a three year old, I'd bought, I think I'd traded for her after she'd been in cutting horse training with dusty Whitford. So, yeah. So dusty Whitford had that horse as a two year old most of the time. And then, and then I got her as a three-year-old, so she she had already kind of cut a little bit. And so I got to cut on her some more. And then between me and Wade Matters, we got her ready for that show. But then I kept trying. Like, I I trained another one. And I think I showed an 18. You know, it was a flop, you know. well yeah. Actually, I think I did pretty good. It was a stud by one time Pepto. And I overspun. So I learned you can overspend and get yeah. zero on the rain and so you're out. You're not making the thousand yeah, dollars. No nothing. go. Nope. And then so I just kept kept training more. But anyway, like a lot of people thought I was just a non pro, I think, when I started and then went open. But yet I trained a lot of years before that. Bought and sold a lot of horses. Um, so i rode a lot of horses. A lot. Like yeah. more than you know, it's irrelevant how many. I just it was several, and so I had a feel a lot of different horses. So when I started competing in the open, it still took me several years to make the finals again. But then one year I had five fraternity horses. Wow! And and I won a check on four of them. No kidding. But I was eligible for the L one, the limited. Oh, I was eligible for everything, and I won the lim- I won the L one on yeah. one of them. And I want to check on three of the others. And I probably would have wanted to check on the fifth one if I wouldn't overspun on that one by the time. Yeah. So, so it just kind of evolved, like just training for that futurity. And it wasn't so much like, Oh, I can go win it. That was just my goal at the point. Well, at the time, well, now, now I had a chance to, to, to train out of this facility, And it's got all the elements. I've never had a facility that had good ground to stop in, good place to cut, an outdoor rain and track, a place to keep cattle. Like I'd always have, every place I've ever trained, I'd either have two of the three. I never had all three. All of it. So the first year that I trained a horse out of here, I made the um, limited, no, let's see. No, I made the intermediate open finals on that horse i'd already rode out of the limited so i couldn't even yeah. compete in that yeah. but i made the intermediate open finals on that horse and i missed the open finals by a point and a half i mean it was wow. like a half a point close yeah it was close uh, so but anyway and and so and that's maverick and i still got him today so i said all that to say this is that now i don't want to just go to the futurity i'm I'm, now i'm branching out and i've kept that horse and going to the derbies i've never probably i've never been to more than two limited age events in my career and now i've been to all of them except scottsdale and i could have went to it but i just chose not to um i chose to stay home and and uh work on my two-year-olds and and get maverick more progress so he but he'll be really eligible or to make the finals at the Hackamore Classic. And I've only shown in that one time. And so, yeah, it's just like my career is like growing. Yes. I'm seeing how to buy the right horses. I obviously, I bought that one starting from a year, from a yearling. And and now I've got customers that have let me pick horses out. And so now I've got the best. I've never had more than one good one. Now I've got half a a dozen. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So explain for the listeners to kind of orient them the, the sport of rain cow horse. And then after we explain the a snapshot of the sport of rain cow horse, I want to talk about the different years in which the horses have different, different expectations. Yeah.
1: So it's a tradition, you know, the whole association is like evolved from the tradition of the old Baccaro style of training and where they, you know, they brought them in a hackamore and a snaffle bit and their three, four and five year old year. And then they'll transition them to a two-rein, which is a combination of a, a, a bozolita and a, a bridle at the same time. And then after that one year, then you can transition them into just straight up open bridle. So, you know, n- now I'm getting to show open bridle horses, 2 rain horses, derby horses, and fraternity horses. So... But really, I'm getting exposed in all of it now. And it's, it's it's been a fun venture to learn all of this discipline. Yeah. I mean, it's there, there's a lot to it. And every year I'm into it, it's like, man, these guys just keep getting better. Yeah, like it's if impressive. I, yeah, if I could do what I could do now back in 2000, I'd, I'd be one of the top trainers. Yeah. Instead, I'm an intermediate just trying yeah. to scrape into that final, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lead Lee D can be but Lee Deacon being a great example of that. He was an intermediate rider, and man, what a humble guy. When they interviewed him after he won the Snapple bit, they like, say, You know, how's it feel to win the Snapple bit Futurity? He says, Well, it's the first time I ever made the open finals for crying out loud. I mean, yeah. that was his his exact words. Like it's a humbling experience to to even make the finals where else we win it. So it was uh, pretty cool to see that. But anyway, My point is, is like any of these intermediate riders are, they they could be the one winning the whole thing.
0: Yeah, anybody could beat anybody, type.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's I think there's 150 intermediate riders, and there's 30 open riders, I think, and they they announce them every year. It goes back three years, like so. The money they've won in the last three years—that's your top 30.
0: You
1: know, who's won the most money in the last three years?
0: And then explain the actual disciplines that you all perform in the arena.
1: So there's, you know, cutting, reining, and and what we call the fence work or cow work. So the reining is obviously you have a pattern, and you do the maneuvers that turn around, the circles, the stops. And then the cutting, obviously, it's just like NCHA cutting. It's judged. It, it's a it's judged a little bit different, but a ninety percent the same. And then the fence work is where they turn one cow out. You box that cow, and then you go down. And you make a minimal of two fence turns and a minimal of circling it both ways. And so that fence work that humbles everybody because the cow dictates the run. So the better cow you have, the better run you have put the together. ability to have, or, yeah. you know, ability. Yeah. ability to, to make a good run. Well, you, the best horse last, you know, every year, the best horse, most of the time doesn't win. The cows can take you out in the first, in the prelims,
0: you know, it's that tight.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's that tough. So you can't go in there saying, Oh yeah, I got a stinger.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna run through it. Yeah, you might
1: get run over in a cut, or you might draw just an old mean cow in the fence work and mark a 14, and you know, didn't have the best rain run, or you know that that horse could possibly have, and not even there make. There is because
0: a pile. because you're doing basically three different events. Yeah, it's, there's it's so a, many competitors and so many levels. Of it's a composite. Yeah, you gotta you definitely gotta show up to put put a good foot forward.
1: Yeah, that's why Lee Deacon won it. I mean, he he's yeah. the one that happened to put it all together that Saturday night in October. That's awesome. What does the future hold for Ricky Pickett Performance Horses? Well, so my goal is the limited age event. That's what I enjoy the most. And so, you know, I've got several horses this year. You know, I've got a Rebel that wants to be real good. And as a three-year-old, I got a Don't Stop Believing, which they're not. I'm like you yeah, haven't seen a bunch of them, but I, I feel like I've got a, one that wants to be a cow horse instead of a cutter and then I actually have a um a, a three year old this year that that I said well i don't i don't think they'll mark her in the raining, but she'll make a cutting horse and she'll be a good cutter and so we've got her entered in the cutting fraternities she's a once in a blue boon I think out of a highbrow cat mare and uh that's she, she wants to be a cutting horse. And so, yeah, we worked her this morning and still pretty good. And I've got several places to haul her to in the next few months. You know, I'm probably going to try to haul her somewhere every week. Yeah. Yeah. Cause keep I keep her busy. Yep. Keep her training coming. So,
0: if you could have it anyway, what would be some horses that you have lined up or that would be mm-hmm. dream horses that you would like in your program?
1: You know, there's, there's a bunch of really good horses that have the potential. I mean, uh, any of the metallic cat sons, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a name brand. Like, if you got a, a colt out of a metallic cat son, and a decent mare, I'm not ever judging that horse. Like, it has to be an own son of, metallic cat, or hoddish, or dual ray, or, like, I've tried a lot of, just, what they call them, off-brand horses. Like, some son of a top cat that's never won a dime. Yeah. And I've I've come up with some good horses, like Lena's of Blue. She was by a son of Freckles Playboy that had never really produced a cow horse until hers, and I've seen two or three out of that same stud since then. So there's a lot of good horses because, like I said, the cow horse, they, they don't care how it's bred. They're going to judge the maneuver. That's what I really enjoy about that association is, they don't care who's riding it, you know, and they don't care what how it's bred, if it if it goes and drags it butt, form or you don't they're gonna mark that maneuver.
0: Yeah.
1: If it yeah. goes down the fence and marks has a plus one turn, they're gonna mark a plus one turn. And so I that's what I really appreciate about the cow horses is it's not just real political. I mean yeah. there's sure there's always the element of the human judging it, but there's five judges. Yeah. It comes out right. It's a panel for the right reason. It comes out right. Yeah. So if somebody were interested in getting into rain cow
0: horse, what are avenues that they could get in
1: into the sport? Well, the best way to do it is be the owner because you don't have to work so dang hard. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Fair but, enough.
1: But anyway, I'm on. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of in that point in my career where I need, I need a few more of those sure enough rock star bred horses. Yeah, you know, like I said, it, I'm not saying you gotta go spend a hundred thousand, but I need some good ones to go make the finals on because I, I know, like I've been to the Futurity enough times, I've been to these derbies, I see what it takes to win, and I feel confident now that but they're they're gonna see me in the open finals. Yes, sir. I mean, I I, I trust me, I got a horse I worked this morning. I'm, I was wishing I was in Scotts, Scottsdale this week. No kidding, yes, sir. I guarantee you. Anyway, but they'll see him here at Hackamore Classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if I was a
0: buyer, what would you, what would you advise me, or how would you counsel me in what to look for in purchasing a rain cow horse? I tell
1: you what, there's there's a few. Here here's the biggest thing about buying a horse. Most people go buy a horse like they hear these certain pedigrees and they like that pedigree and they just go buy one with that pedigree. But let's be honest. There's more to it than that. Okay. Yeah, a guy can get lucky and it just happened to have clean hawks and stifles and gets trained. Yeah, genetics and, are probability
0: to not certainty.
1: Hey, yeah. I mean, and nowadays, like you go to these cells, if they don't have x-rays, it's a crap shoot. Because they can have hidden OCDs and their stifles that maybe they train good until you sure enough go ask them. You know, you've done got two years of training. And, I mean, you've never x-rayed their stifles and they've got OCD and it ends up being hurt. You're done. Yeah. Well, go buy one that's already been x-rayed. You know, it's a simple, it's a simple, very easy, like, you just have to, like, overcome the emotional part of buying that horse and say it's a business decision.
0: Yeah. It's a math problem.
1: Yes. Like, go to the Western Bloodstock where they have options for the x-rays in the repository and you... You go through there, and you like a horse. Well, and they have to have X-rays to even be in the sale. Just call your vets up. And say, "Here, look at this. Is it clean?" And if you if you got a clean legged horse, he fits. He checks all the boxes, and his X-rays are clean. You got a prospect. We got some. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of people just go buy horses off of what they think. You better get some counsel because there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot that could be in a radiographic find that can keep keep you from actually having success with that particular horse. Well, I think it,
0: as a buyer of a rain cow horse, I think having that
1: trainer involved, right, is a big part of it. Man, I would think so. I mean, if you're going to go and, say, hire me to train your rain cow horse and just go buy on your own accord and then bring it to me.
0: Throw it to the wind.
1: The odds go way down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's just
1: say you come to me and say, hey, let's go pick one out. I'm not saying it's going to work a hundred percent of the time, but the odds go up. But you're putting up. yourself in a lot better position. Yeah, that's it. Like, there's a lot of things, like just kind of like, <clears throat> let's say it, there actually is a horse that's clean legged, he's clean and hog's clean, stilets, the front feet are clean, and you're like, oh man, I like his own son of Stevie Ray Vaughan or whatever. You like him, and I like him, and then I call my buddy of mine and say, and I say, hey, you know, he's out of this. Such and such mare. Well, none of them horse none of them colts have ever trained out of that mare.
0: Well, a red, that flag.
1: Bop, yeah, red flag. Red flag. Bear keep looking. I mean, there's so many variables and access to information. Why would you not access the information before you pull the trigger?
0: And even then, I mean, think of all all the factors that go into not only the purchase of the animal, but the training of the animal, the performance of the animal. So, too... To make those open finals or to win those open finals, that's a lot of years and time and effort on a lot of people's part. That's a lot
1: for all of it. To a lot of resources involved in that before you ever even get to that's go show it's such up. As a,
0: it's such a momentous victory.
1: Yeah, yeah. You need you know if you're wanting to get into the business, you you're going to have to get counsel. Don't just go think I'm. It's going to be the next secretariat story because yeah, don't know, work like that.
0: statistically speaking, not nowadays. So, Ricky, I can't thank you enough for setting aside the time, not only to record this podcast, but showing me around the facility and put me on some horses and just sharing some life advice. If people wanted to get connected with Ricky Pickett Performance Horses or they want to get involved in the rain cow horse business and wanted to talk to you, how would they get a hold of
1: you? You know, I guess that social media, that's kind of the easiest way nowadays. But I do have a website. You know, I've put on some clinics and we just kind of coined the phrase cowhorse academy i don't even know how i come up with that but we've i named the clinics that every time i put a clinic on and um you can go to com or look up ricky Pigot performance horses on facebook instagram my daughter helps me do all that so it's all on there i mean message me or my phone number you know i mean it's it's all on there yes sir good 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 as we wrap every show we like to
0: feature the last question and it focuses on life advice. So the question is typically posed if you were to give previous, if you were to give yourself life advice in previous chapters of your life, or if there was somebody coming up the trail a little bit behind you based on your experience, what advice
1: would you share with them? You know, if you, if if you've got that bug and you're doing it and you want to do it, you can just throw the pride out the window. Yeah. That's, that's held me back longer than anything. Thinking I, I had to show up and just blow them out of the water. No, go scratch. Yeah, go scratch at every show. Throw your pride out the window. Don't be afraid to take good counsel because, and no one good counsel is being given. Like, it ain't hard to figure that out, you know. So, if I'd have started that twenty years ago, I'd be way ahead of where I'm at now. Pride dominates a lot of things in most people's lives
0: and it can oftentimes be more of a detriment than it is help.
1: Yes. Just throw it out the window.
0: Heck yeah. Well, Ricky, we sure appreciate everything, and like I said, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to not only get to share some time with you, but uh, call you a friend, and hopefully this will be the first of many episodes, and we're excited to see what Ricky Performance Horses has for the future. Well,
1: I I appreciate you taking the time to even talk to somebody, because I'm not... I'm not a big wig, but I'm just out here kicking and pulling this like everybody else and hoping one of these days that, you know, something good will come from it and I'll be good influences. I I just graduated my first daughter, so I feel that, that feels like an There's accomplishment. There's life accomplishment right, right yes, there, sir. yes, sir. So anyway, I'm, Heck yeah. I'm making some ground. I'm not just going to, if I die tomorrow, I'm not going to be a total loser. <laughs> I don't think anybody can pin you as that. Yeah, uh, man. All right,
0: brother. Well, thanks again. and We'll catch you soon. Thank you, Jason. Thanks again for joining us here on Let Freedom Reign podcast. If you're looking to grow in the areas of leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship, please visit day6ranch.com to see all we have to offer in the form of free content, podcasts, and material related to building a legacy-worthy lifestyle.